So who here has ever had a really memorable meal, like a great meal? Okay, all right. Can you, can you tell us anything about this really great meal? Okay, you want to tell us? Well, Thanksgiving with all the family, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, right. and grandparents and great-grandparents. So, yeah, Thanksgiving meal with, 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 all, with all the kids, with all the fixings. Anybody else with, like, a really memorable meal? Okay. Okay, Mark. It was the last meal at my parents' home before I got married the next day, and my mom made her delicious vegetable homemade soup, which I've tried to duplicate for 62 years and can't do it. <laughs> Never really worked, did it? <laughs> okay, a really memorable meal. Peter, I mean Lex. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meals that we have it here on Thursdays, yes. and we get to just experience new people and new tastes. Uh, yeah. Potlucks are wonderful, aren't they? They're amazing. I know. Where else will you have something that's basically jello, but they call it salad? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm coming around here. Okay, a couple more people with a memorable meal. Because all of us, all of us have these memorable meals in our life. Kathy, what's a memorable meal for you? Any meal at John's house. That's true. But he really makes a great split piece. That's right. So if John Brandt, Betty Mosher, or... or, um, or uh, Bonnie Schwark ever invites you to a meal, just go, okay? I'm telling you. Okay, one, one more. So, Cheryl, what's a really memorable meal in your life? Sunday mornings, not mornings, Sunday afternoons growing up was always a huge meal. Roast potatoes, homemade rolls. Remember the relish dishes? Putting, you know, the olives on your fingers. Yeah, so sun, Sunday afternoon, Sunday afternoon meals. See, for all of us, we have these, 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 like our key times in life are often linked to meals. This is really interesting. Well, anyways, I warned our media team in advance. It's like, we're going to play hide and seek today. It's what we're going to do with the cameras. Anyways, all of us with, with the, with the really great, hi there. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's all of us with, with, the, with the really major moments in our life, you think about it, it almost always involves a meal, right? So if there's a wedding, if there's a funeral, if there's a graduation, usually there is a meal involved. Now, uh, Anita and I, are, we're getting old enough now that we, we, we've been responsible enough that we're actually starting to make plans so like she knows what to do if... If I pass away before she does, I know what to do. If she passes away before I do, and and the uh, the one big piece of one instruction that that she has given me, and I can share this with you because she had to work last night, so she's fast asleep today, is is that whatever happens, people will be fed. There's going to be a big meal at her funeral. Now I am not exactly certain what influence people have in the world now from the world to come. I don't know exactly how that works, but I know if I mess that up, I am in deep yogurt. And it won't smell like yogurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so there's these memorable meals that, uh, that really define, define life for us. 
And I just wanted to bring that lens into a passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. Now, for many of us, this is kind of a familiar passage. It's Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through, let's see, oh, about 1 verse through 1 through 11. So see if you can find this in your Bibles. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Because there is a detail in there that for all the times I've read it, I missed it. And it actually unlocks the passage in a really fascinating way. So, Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, so this is Luke writing, and, and he, he is, he's got a, there's a benefactor named Theophilus who's making it possible for him to write the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So he, this, is the, this is the second volume in a two-volume series. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was, what's the word? Eating. While he was eating. Now, there is a little bit of, as the British would say, controversy on this word. Now, in the, in the New International Version, it translates, the, um, the, the word is um, uh, uh, sunalizo, it translates that word as gathering or assembly. Uh, or the, the New International Version, I say, translates it as, as eating. The New Living Translation translates it as eating. The, the ESV, the King James Version, the Christian Standard Version translates it as gathering. We're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this. So he was eating slash gathering with his disciples. And that's when he gave him this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, side note, something that had nothing to do with what he was talking about. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the days or the uh, times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you, plural, y'all, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, y'all, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. So, here's a, a, couple, of, a couple of questions for you. The first one is this. Where was Jesus when he was, when he was teaching this? Where was he? Okay. 
Get your Bibles open, your paper Bibles. If you're in in Acts chapter 1, flip one page back to Luke 24. Luke 24. Luke 24, verses 15 beyond. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives, which is why we believe and know that when Christ returns, he will come back on the Mount of Olives just because that's where he ascended. In the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So where was Jesus when he was teaching? He was in Bethany. He was in Bethany. Now, okay, you Bible scholars. Who else lived in Bethany? Because Bethany, it's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It, it, it's like, it's at most 200 people. It is a small community, especially back then. A small community. Who lived in Bethany? That's right. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Mary Martha and Lazarus. Almost every time Jesus was in Bethany, he would stop at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house because Lazarus was one of his closest friends, assuming Mary and Martha as well. He loved their hospitality. He, he enjoyed their cooking, apparently, because, um, well, because Martha felt like she had to keep doing all this cooking while Mary wanted to listen to Jesus teach. So he was in Bethany, and what, at least according to the New Living Translation or the, or the New International Version, what was Jesus doing there? What was he doing? He was eating. He was eating. Now, this is a little bit of biblical speculation. It's trying to put a few pieces together, but it's, but it's interesting. See, I think, let me see your eyes. I think that Jesus, after his resurrection, he did the very same thing that you will want to do after your resurrection. I've had the privilege of many, many um, end-of-life conversations. Sat next to somebody in a hospital room who knew they didn't have long in this world. And I would ask them, oftentimes the very same question, so what are you looking forward to about heaven? And in almost every case, they say two things. One, they say, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus, which is, of course, a, the great, a great answer. It's also the church answer. What's the other thing that every single person says? I'm looking forward to seeing my loved ones again. I'm looking forward to seeing my loved ones again. What if our Savior had the same desire? I think, now this is a little speculation, so just hold on to this just lightly. This isn't, as, this isn't gospel necessarily. Hold to it lightly. I think there's a very good chance that Jesus, as in the, in the 40 days he had before his ascension, I think he spent most of his time spending time with the people he loved 
the most. And what is the thing that if, as you gather with your loved ones again, what is, what is the thing that you, lo- you love to do with the people you love the most? You eat. You eat. Incidentally, the, the fact that Jesus ate, because you think about all the times, like Jesus' post-resurrection, he really seemed to have the munchies. He, because he, he, like almost every occasion, he ate. Remember the road to Emmaus? He's, he's walking with these disciples. They can't recognize him for some reason, but he gets to their house. They invite him in. They break bread. And that's when they recognize Jesus at the meal. Then they go rushing back to Jerusalem. They meet up with the other disciples. All this stuff is happening. And Jesus shows up in their midst. They all lose it. And what does Jesus ask for? Do you remember? Something to eat. Do you have something to eat? Anybody bonus points? Remember what they gave him? Fish. Yeah. Can you please do better? <laughs> what? They gave him fish. They gave him fish. Or you think of John chapter 21. As he's meeting with his disciples again. Flip there, if you will. So they're out fishing and they have this miraculous catch of fish. More fish than they can imagine. And they go... Oh, that guy on the shore, that must be Jesus. And they come back, and what has Jesus made for them? Breakfast. Most of the times when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he appeared to them in the context of a meal. Jesus is a foodie. He loves to eat. He loves some of the same things you love. I think there's a very good chance after his resurrection, he wanted to do some of the same things that you are looking forward to about your life after he resurrects you. (laughs) Incidentally, this is one of the other most convincing proofs of the resurrection, by the way. Because Jesus wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a great idea. He wasn't just an inspirational kind of thought. He was a real life human, like resurrected human being who sat down, who ate, who drank, who enjoyed time with the people he loved even after he was resurrected. You know there's going to be food in heaven, right? Like really good food in heaven? (laughs) So here's Jesus Good chance he's at, he's at his friend Lazarus' house. Gathered with his disciples. They're eating together because that's what they do. And he's teaching. So let's talk about his teaching. So he tells them, he tells them, to, to, uh, tells them to wait for the gift. Wait for the gift that my father promised and I've told you about. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You wait for it. And so the disciples, because, and this is the other thing I, I think is one of the best um, kind of indicators of the authenticity of the Bible. Track with me here. You see, the very same people who wrote the Bible, like who, whether that is their eyewitness accounts written through others or directly like Matthew actually wrote like the Gospel of Matthew, when they show up in the Gospels, they're usually dimwits. Like, they just really, really don't get it. 
I think that's one of the authenticity markers. Because if this was a story that the disciples just kind of made up to kind of invent a religion, they would you'd, they'd at least go to the trouble of making themselves the heroes of the story. But they're not. And here's another one of the examples of that. Jesus is saying, okay, there's a gift coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. Go to Jerusalem and wait for it. I, I told you about it. God promised it. And what do they ask about? What are they interested in? Actually, can we put up that passage um, in Acts chapter... Acts chapter 1, is going to be about verse 5. What do they ask about? Is now the time? Is now the time you're going to restore the, the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time that we're going to kick some Roman butt? Is, or, the, or isn't it interesting how even today, we're often more fixated with the return of Christ than the following of Christ now? Oh, the room got quiet. We're often more concerned about like the you know the you know what's going to happen next and when are we going to be in charge? We get more excited about us being in charge than following Jesus. We do need to follow Jesus. That's right, Morgan. And so Jesus, he says to them, "It's not for you to know the the times or the dates my Father has set by His own authority, but but." You might be my witnesses. No, what did he say? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will, and what? You, you will, you will be my witnesses. It's not a question of if, it's just a question of how. You will be my witnesses. Some of y'all might not be great witnesses, but you will be my witnesses. Starting with the, with the places closest to you and extending to places you can't even imagine. You will be my witnesses. And, and then as the story goes on, and we're going to look more at this in the, next, in the weeks to come, the thing that Jesus, that Jesus promised came, came true. And the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and power, and, and, these, and these, this, this ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and, and zealots, they ended up being people who would quite literally change the world. They will, you will, we will be his witnesses as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But just for today, I want us just to think about this not just the content of the teaching. You know, you, Holy Spirit's coming. You're going to be my witnesses. Wait for it. Don't get distracted by the other stuff. But also the context. Because where was he teaching? He was teaching in the, at a meal. He was teaching at a meal. I was reading uh, this week that 56% of Americans... Um, as of, as of at least that particular poll, regularly eat meals in their cars. 20% of all American meals right now are, are eaten in an automobile. And this is not to shame anybody or, or anything. That's just, that's just the world we live in, right? Or how, how many times have you, um, ha- have you gone to a restaurant... And you've seen a scene a little bit like this. Can you put up, up the, there we go, this scene? So you go out for a special meal. And you've seen this. So 
how much conversation is happening around the table? None. And sadly, that also happens at home a fair amount too, doesn't it? You're eating, you're eating together, but you're not actually spending time together. We can, we can take the picture down, but thanks, guys. We see scenes like this all the time. And so here, here's the, the one thought I want to place in your mind as we think about what it means to be people who follow Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are his witnesses. If we want to do something revolutionary, like countercultural, and maybe even life-changing, maybe, maybe it starts with a meal. You can't fix the world. You can't even fix your family. But you can fix some dinner. And that might just be a good place to start. Because Jesus shows up at dinner. His greatest act in the world was rising from the dead. There's a pretty good chance his final act on earth was rising from the table. Isn't that interesting? Now, okay, this, this, okay this, is the, this is just me being a little imaginative, so, so you can hold on to this one lightly, because oftentimes when I hear like the story of the ascension, I sort of imagine he, Jesus, he, he goes on a hike with his disciples up to the top of a mountain, Mount of Olives, right? Goes up to the top of a mountain, his final words, goodbye, and from the top of the mountain, because that way it's easier, he just floats off. And maybe that's exactly the way it happened. I also think, based on these passages, it's probably just as likely. They're meeting at Mary and Martha's house, and most Jewish meals would be, would be shared on the, on, the, on the rooftop of the house. You, or you think of, of, for many of us, that's sitting around in the backyard, around patio furniture. Some of the best meals are had outside, around patio furniture. Sitting there at the top of the house, on top of the house, they're enjoying this meal together and Jesus is teaching them all these things. They're asking dumb questions just like they usually do. And as he blesses them, he gets up from the table and rises up into heaven. Now, it may not be exactly like that. That might be a little bit make-believe, but it's not. There's an we need to have biblical imagination, friends. Because see, what that means is, is if Jesus is having all these meals with his disciples, what we are right now is we're just in between meals. We're in between meals. Just think of, think of all the... Well, actually, before I get to this to kind of this one last idea, here's this one other thought I had about, about, about meals and maybe why it's so beautiful. is because, you know, when we're eating with other people, uh, we are really at our most human, aren't we? If you ever Google, like, um, pictures of people eating, 
you'll notice that most of the time the results that come back are, are people sitting close to food but not actually eating food. Why is that? Because when you are eating, you look like this. Can we put that one up? All right. Is it's kind of a weird thing when you when you when you, you can you can take that down and that is not a picture of me but it could be. Um, when we are eating, it's the strangest thing, isn't it? We've got this hole in the front of our head, and we are sticking substances in the hole in the front of our head. We never we nobody. Can we take the picture down? Oh, you're trying. Thank you. Okay. When we are taking, when, we, when we're eating, we never ever look our best. And maybe that's part of the point. We're at our most vulnerable. We're at our most human. Where everybody eats. And nobody looks cool while they're doing it. We're all on the same level. And Jesus eats with his disciples. I find it interesting that as we see these snapshots of, of, of like the age to come, of what it will be like when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, so often those images involve food. Do you, do you remember uh, Revelation? I think it's Revelation 6.18. It was to the church in Laodicea. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, Revelation 3.20. This church in Laodicea. And, and, so, and so Jesus is telling this lukewarm church to let him in. Look, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. And they with me. Jesus, the Savior, and who's reaching out to this lukewarm church, I will come in and I will get your act cleaned up. That's not what he's saying. No, that's what will happen, but it starts with a meal. It starts with a meal. If you'll only let me in. We're going to chow together. And in Revelation 19 as it's the picture of, of what the world will be like after Christ returns, after sin and death are eradicated. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. We're living in between meals. There's more written about the Last Supper, like the Jesus' meal before his crucifixion. Think about this. More written about the Last Supper than any other event, in the Bible at least, written in the Bible, about more, more about that Last Supper than any other event in biblical history. Now, that's not to say that the crucifixion wasn't important. It was the most important event in human history. And that's not to say the resurrection was important. Those, those two are the linchpins on which all history pivots. But the place where Jesus taught the most, the place where Jesus had the most to say, 
was at meals. Jesus wants to eat with you. Jesus wants to eat with us. <laughs> Maybe as we, are as we look to follow Jesus with our lives, we look to apply his teaching, we look to live in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, and I hope you do. Maybe part of that journey is rediscovering the table, the power of the fork. Eat with the people you care about and expect Jesus to show up because he it seems he really, really loves a good meal. I think it's so appropriate that even after worship, we're going to have a barbecue <laughs> and baptism. <laughs> because these are the kind of places where Jesus shows up. He's a foodie. He loves to eat because he loves to meet with the people around the table.